that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Hey, good morning, my friend. What's happening? I'm Eric Aguilar. You are my friend. I am good. I am good. We're ready for another episode of Walk and Roll Live. I'm Doug Vincent, and you are? Eric Aguilar. The one and only. And I just want to let you know I'm a polio survivor, crutch user for years, and transitioned into a wheelchair user over the last 20 years. How about you, Eric? I have cerebral palsy on the right side of my body. I'm hard of hearing in my left ear, and I use a walking stick. Very nice. Not just any walking stick either. It's the walking stick with, you're like Mr. Gadget with that thing. Yes, this is true. This is true, Doug. I'm like Inspector Gadget or Batman. When I was a kid, my cousin called me Inspector Gadget all the time. Because oh, is that right? I had some sort of uh, multifunctional toy or tool that I always carried around. So I'm not the first, huh? Darn it. No. <laughs> so speaking of Mr. Gadget, how about the Marvels movie? Did you uh, get a chance to go see that? Oh, I got to see it at long last. The story was pretty good. The characters were great. It was good to see the... Uh, main lead again in a sequel movie and a couple of side characters and then there was a third character that doesn't have really much dialogue or much uh, backstory quite yet but they'll make it in the next sequel but what I feel really hurt the movie was the villain because I thought the villain was kind of uh, weak and cliche-ish can't have a weak villain right you need a good strong hero and a good strong villain to make a, a good story I mean, the climax was great, but it's best that they have uh, strong heroes and a balance of strong villains because a lot of the times the hero is very strong, but the villain is kind of weak, though. Yeah. So on these these movies, do are these characters? And uh, forgive me for my ignorance, please. But uh, you know, because there are going to be people who are like, "What the heck is he saying?" But these these are all stories that come from comics, and they're bringing them to life, or or are they creating? new stories with the old characters and in some instances creating new characters a lot of the times they'll uh, use the um, old characters to create new stories but it's very rare that they very that they stick to the uh, continuity within the comic book gotcha gotcha that that creativity comes out so good effects good action um yeah good yeah the action is was top notch but the effects were kind of hit and miss at times but I think the story would, overall was pretty good. But judging by the uh, climax and the ending, they're going to make more. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Very good. Well, thank you for your review. And um, anything else this past week worth noting? And I, well, I know one event that uh, we both shared yeah, this too. past weekend. Yeah. Eric and Let's I were the co hosts of the um, Possibilities Dinner, right? Right. It was good to see some friends we haven't seen in a long while, and it's kind of crazy and sucks that we only get to see them like once a year, like a family reunion. I don't know about nobody else who did go, but that was some good steak, man. Wow, yeah, they the the dinner was top notch, right? Well, I didn't get to try that dessert. Did you? Did you try some? It was very, it was, it was very, very, very good. One of the best cakes I've had in a while. Is that what it's it was? A cake. Often, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, let me see. Let me think. What was that? Tiramisu. It was. It was some sort. No, 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 no. It was some sort of a pistachio. Yeah, and it was green. So yeah, I never did get a chance. You know, because I was up on stage most of the night. I was the MC for that yeah, one. It was a busy weekend for Christmas uh, uh, parties. Uh, my construction company that that uh, redid my kitchen, and they had theirs, which they do every year. That's a wonderful affair. They they have they have a like an old Victorian house on I don't know. I'm not good at sizes. You know, no more than a half acre of land. So there's you know there's a yard and grounds and a garden and there's a little. Um, Kiosk, kiosk. What? What's the other word? Like a pergola, uh, uh, one of those things in, in the back. You know, they have weddings there, so it's kind of an event place. And there's little meandering, little paths that go through it. And they used to put yes. they in the upper, the front corner. They had a big area where they would put up a kind of a temporary tent for bigger events. Well, over the years, they've they've built an actual structure. It's made out of big timbers and it's, it's all beautiful. I mean, you go into the house, you know, and kind of tour there and there'd be 20 different fully decorated Christmas trees in there. And, and they, they have on the menu, and this is all no charge to their customers is prime rib or a taco bar. They have, you know, mm, coffee and I'll hot chocolate. Oh yeah, exactly. And a, um, they have an open bar. Then for dessert, they have a crepes bar. And there's a menu of six or eight different crepes that you can you can pick from. They have a DJ, they have a band, you know, all of that stuff and goodies to give away. It, we had a great time. It's always a good time. And then on Saturday night, I go every year. It started years ago with some friends of mine that they collect toys for the kids at Fort Irwin in uh, California. And it's for the kids of the military there. And uh, I don't most people don't understand that uh, the people in the military aren't paid really well. And so many times the, the, as this time of year, you know, holidays, the kids can go without anything. So uh, some friends of mine started uh, collecting toys years ago. They would have a party at their house and throw up a big temporary tent. And it grew to where it was three, 400 people. And your entry into the party was a toy and a potluck dish. And then we'd have a party and had a great time. So that they moved out of state. And they turned it over to another organization, the Enland Mopar Club. And so throughout the year when they would hold, when they hold uh, car shows, you know, that they collect toys and all those. And then they kind of culminate with this part, big party that we had on Saturday night. And it's at an undisclosed location. I don't want to mention where it is, but it's, it's a gentleman and his wife that opened their home. And they have this huge building, uh, kind of like a warehouse sized building that he has his collection of mostly uh, motor car memorabilia. So there are full size signs that you would see in front of a gas station. He's got a whole wall that are replicas of uh, like a, like a little main street with these little shop fronts. His wife is into Barbies. So there's one store that, you know, looks like a Barbie store. Uh, There's, there's, reenactments and and uh replicas of a a garage from the 1940s with an old car and a bunch of tools from the 1940s around it there's like an extensive collection of little oil cans there's an extensive collection of of fire hose nozzles that he's got in there 
and, and this is all is peppered with different cars. You know, there's Corvettes in there and, and you know, racks of, of cars. That's how big this building is. And there's a working, there's a working little uh, ice cream shop inside this building. You go in there and they, they serve you ice cream and it, it, it's crazy. You know, and everybody for that, bring it's a potluck I'd again. And yeah. Well, maybe next year you can be my plus one. Yeah, it's a good time. And then they started a couple of years ago, and I didn't even get a chance to see it this year. But across their their little driveway, they built a Western town. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a fun. I want to see that too. And then, of course, Sunday night we had possibilities, and, and, and we'll talk about it later at, at the end of the show. Uh, there's more coming up this week. It's a busy week or so. A lot of different events, and and so much fun. And like you say, it's great to see everybody get a chance once a week to, or once a year in some cases to, to see some of these folks. So it's nice to catch up. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, cause I know you've been busy here in the last week. You've talked about it a little bit. You've been taking some more classes for disaster preparedness and also teaching some classes, right? Right. Right. And uh, I think you're going to take a little break here and uh, your next class is coming up uh, in February. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Sometime in February. What's really cool is that uh, I like to do these tra- these trains of my uh, co-instructor because with the co-instructor and partner, it goes a lot more fun and a lot more faster. And, we're, and just like we do here, we're basically, you know, working off each other. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good to hear. So can you arrange with him or her? Um, she's mainly in charge of the morning sessions from uh, 10 to 11. Once in a while, I'll hop in and tag team with her. I'm in charge of the uh, the two to three set uh, sessions in the afternoon. Gotcha. So one of the golden rules is um, if uh, they don't show up within ten or fifteen minutes after the time that we should be starting, I'm free to go. Ah, uh, very good. So it's a it's a her. Can you, we arrange with her then to come and join you to to do your class on a podcast? Um, it's possible. I mean, all we got to do is reach out to her. Uh, you know, her. her name is a uh, Br- uh, Brandy. Okay. Collaborates with safety powers. So why don't you ask her about that? If not, we'll we'll have you do it. But maybe it'll be great to have you two together. I'll just step out sure. and I'll I'll be your engineer, do all the recording for you guys, and put it all together. And you guys can do it. all right. We'll look yeah. forward to hearing more about that. All right, uh, we've got a great guest today. Um, uh, this is a, a guest that was introduced to me by my brother. Again, we're trying to reach out to other organizations, other people, other than our circle, the possibilities dinner that we uh, talked about, we're talking, what do you think? There was seven or 800 people there. Yeah, at the very most. Yeah. And, and that's just a portion of the members of possibilities. It's, I think, what were they saying? Like up to around 7,500 people are members of possibilities. So it's a very large group of people. And there were a number of people, of course, that, that were there that, have been guests already on walk and roll live. Uh, but we want to reach outside that we want to reach out there. And we have a guest yeah. like that today from Sacramento who I met through my brother and his work in Sacramento at an organization called access leisure. We'll learn more about that. And we'll learn about all of her, uh, uh, her life's experiences, her injury. And we'll find out about pre uh, pre injury life and post injury life and all of that. And going through that struggle too. Quite a journey. So we'll do that with Taya Rosa coming up next here on Walk and Roll Live. Uh, and before we go, real quick, too, I wanted to thank um, 
Aguiar Professional Training for all their support. We appreciate it very much. Uh, and remember to like and share and and uh, all of that, our podcast. And we'll be back in just a moment. With we'll be right Rosa. back after this cup of coffee, folks. Introducing Aguiar Professional Training, where we believe your greatest asset is your team. Investing in their development, knowledge, and happiness is crucial for the success and growth of your business. To reach new heights, you need to hire smart, talented individuals and empower them to work in their areas of strength and passion. At Aguiar Professional Training, we're dedicated to helping your employees become happier, more productive, and fulfilled because when your team thrives, your business thrives. We can help your workplace work better. We offer customized workshops and one-on-one coaching to help teams and leaders build trust and have better communication. We also offer strategic planning sessions, among other services. Elevate your team with Ugyar Professional Training. Walk and roll live, and uh, Eric not with us today, but he'll be back next week. I'm pretty sure, so we'll find out for sure. But today we have our guest, Taya Rosa, is with us. Uh, she is. Uh, let me see if, if I can use up half the show talking about all the things that you do: nurse, <laughs> baseball player, equestrian, marathoner, and so much more. And hopefully, over the next uh, half hour or so, we will learn all about your journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking out the time and, and being here on Walk and Roll Live. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I want to let you know that, uh, you know, we started this about six, seven months ago and we do a, a show a week. And my my dream is to, is to you know, tell the story of people who are disabled and kind of help other people with disabilities know that, especially newcomers say to it, that uh, there is life after a, a, a dramatic injury or some other condition that disables you and, and, and also help our able-bodied friends maybe fully uh, or a little better understand us, I guess is, is the, uh, the, the dream. But in, in starting that most of the people that we've had on so far are people that, you know, in our circles, Eric and I, and, you know, and that's great, but I, I'd love to open it up to, the whole country, you know, any, anywhere there are people that are fighting these battles or there are programs and services in other places that we'd love to have them on and tell the story. So through my brother, who we've had on the show, uh, you know, we've we've had a few people on. We had Eric uh, Harris was on. You're probably familiar with Eric yeah. and uh, a few other people. So uh, you're you're one of that that kind of that vein of people uh, that has been uh, recommended through my brother. So. Uh, thank you for being here and uh, look forward to hearing your story. So uh, we usually like to kind of start at the beginning. And, you know, so where where are you from? Where were you born? So I was born in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. Okay. So, and you spent uh, like, what, the first 20 years of your life there? Yeah, the first 21 years I lived there. Yes. Very nice. What was your, uh, like, passions as you were growing up? My passions um, was, uh, I, was, I always liked the outdoors, uh, sports. I was a gymnast. Um, and then when I went to um, high school, uh, you know, you get uh, in your senior year, it's like, okay, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm like, yep. Hi, what do I want to do? And I was always interested in working with animals or with people, whether it was hospitality, 
um, you know, th that kind of, I just wanted to be around people, a flight attendant or something. And, and then um, we had, my grandparents uh, moved in with us. And when my grandmother got older, uh, I started to get more passionate about the, uh, the geriatric field. I wanted to become, you know, uh, a nurse. And that's when I went to school for. I went oh. and became an LVN. Uh, There's a licensed vocational nurse, or here they probably call it an uh, LPN, a licensed protect, uh, protectional nurse. Uh, it's, I think, one level lower than an RN. And um, so I did that uh, for three years. I went to nursing school for three years and worked um, after I graduated. And um, then in 87, 1987, I came to the United States for the first time because I have relatives live here, uncles and aunts and cousins that I never really grew up with, but I knew that they lived here. And that's when the talk came, you know, like, uh, well, or that's where my, my love, like about mountains and lakes. I mean, I loved it here in California. So, yeah. you know, then in 89, when I got a job offer from my aunt that lived in uh, the Sonora area, I thought, well, I still live at home. I'm young. I have nothing to lose. I'll just try it for a year. And I talked to my boss about it. And she was actually more excited for me than uh, I probably that's showed good. And she goes, if it doesn't work out, you come back and you still have your job. So that was pretty good, having that yeah. in the background. And yeah. I, I convinced my parents and my, my siblings, like, I'm just going to try it for a year. And they helped me pack my suitcases, and uh, but I never returned. <laughs> <laughs> so you must love it. <laughs> I must love it here, yeah. Very nice. So you that, know what? Um, Eric just came into the, the waiting room. Let me let him in here and he can join the conversation. No, oh, perfect. Yeah, so... Um, Love to learn because this is something I've kind of learned now being uh, more part of the disabled community. I, I, I was a year old when I became disabled and kind of came up. Hey, Eric, how you doing? How you doing, Dougie Frog? All right. We got uh, we got started without you, but hey, uh, you jump in where you uh, doing? Well, yeah. See, this is Taya. This is Eric, our co-host. Hi, Eric. So, uh, you know, I, you? I started going to a, a, a a school for disabled kids up until fourth grade. And then I think in fifth grade, I transferred to, to public school, you know, and then you're just on, you're just kind of living your life. And, you know, all those things like you talk about, you know, you go through school and as you get towards uh, the end of high school, you start thinking, you know, now what am I going to do with my life? And you start worrying about that. And then, you know, so I got my career started and part of being in radio was uh, public service. You know, there was mandates through the government that you had to, allow so much time for public service. So we would do radiothons and things like that. And through my background with my folks, when Drew and I were kids, um, we got a lot of help from organizations like the March of Dimes and what they called the Crippled Children's Society back then and different things like that, Easter Seals. So, yeah. so I started to kind of give back and started getting involved back in the community. And, and I say all that to say that I've learned through uh, especially people with uh, with traumatic injuries and who have come to disability later in life is their personalities don't change. You know, no. you were somebody that was active and you enjoyed those things. That doesn't go away when you become disabled. Yeah. You just have to kind of find new ways to, to do it, to, to do yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so you come to the United States and you're you're an LVN, an LVN, yeah, LVN. And so now that your career's taken off mm -hmm. and then at what point does tragedy strike, if I will? 
So uh, I moved to the United States in 89. I got welcomed by the big old earthquake. Oh, which yeah, I, that's right. At that time, I thought, like, maybe I should go back. This is a sign. <laughs> maybe I'm not welcome here. But that didn't stop me. And then in 2000, so 20, almost 20 years ago, 2004 um, is when I had my accident. I already was married and had three children, lived on a little ranch and had our horses and dogs and cats and all that. So, um yeah, so in 2004, it was um, Easter break, and I went horseback riding with my daughter and some friends. And uh, at that time, I uh, rode my friend's horse because she bought a new horse, and she asked me if I could ride her horse. And I said, yeah, it's fine. So her husband rode my horse. I kind of, like, figured out, you know, if that horse was suitable for her. She didn't have that much experience than I did. And everything went fine. The horseback riding went fine until we headed back towards the staging area where our trucks were parked. And, and in the distance, I saw some people on bicycles. Because, you know, when you're a hunter, um, your eyes are, you're looking at everything. You don't just look at your surroundings, but you look farther, than, you know, especially yeah. when you're, um, you know, riding your horse. So you always want to make sure it's danger coming or, you know, what's, what's happening. And so we met up with these people. And um, when uh, I asked them to dismount their bicycles, because the horse that I was riding on uh, was raced, in an arena, so it didn't see much. My horses come from a 7,000 uh, acre, you know, property. So they, so they were kind of used to all that. They've seen, yeah. yeah. And, and not to say that they cannot scare of anything, because sure. they're still horses, right? So yeah, everything went well until the horse was not listening to my commands. And that's when everything went wrong. You know, it was just a, a shift, I think, of the back when I bailed off the horse, the horse lost her balance and then came on to me and broke my back. So the horse fell on you. The horse fell on me. Yeah. Wow. As I thought I was going to be safer getting off of her, you know? Yeah, sure. So yeah. what level of uh, a T? A T12 incomplete. Okay. But um, so that's where the break was, but the paralysis start. I always call it, um, you know, a T13 because we don't have a, t a thoracic 13, but it's like in between your L. I, it starts from the top of my femurs, you know? So I have all my, abdominal muscles and I have my hip flexors that I can initiate. So the paralysis itself starts a little bit lower. So how, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, your state of mind at the time, how, how did that go? So I think, you know, hindsight now, cause you can think about it more, you yeah, know, yeah. over all the years is that having the nursing background and having to work with people with disabilities, that was not foreign to me. I just never thought that I would apply all the stuff that I knew to my real life and everything that you've learned, you know, in school. Because in, in Europe, um, the way we go to school, you know, we start, first of all, we start much younger. So that's why I was 19 when I was a nurse. And here you're like okay. 30 I, plus years. I was wondering, I was trying to do the math and think, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Don't even try because <laughs> the school is different, right? Yeah. But we also have to learn to be in a wheelchair for a week as a student and then see how society is so that, that right? Way, oh, yeah. Okay. So that way we understand how to take care of our patients, you know, our, uh, part, uh, what is it, uh, participants or um, uh, people. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that was something and, that came and up. And also have screen. empathy, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so when I got hurt, even when they flew me, you know, per helicopter to uh, to the trauma hospital, um, my main concern was actually my daughter because she was there and witnessed the accident. Mm -hmm. 
So for me, I was still alive. Um, and I, you try to process everything, you know, in, um, in that New York minute. But yeah. my main thing was like, oh, my God, what did she witness? Because that is something I would never know because I don't mm-hmm. know what she saw. I just so, know what so I saw. And what happened the mother to me. and you kicked in right away. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, while I was in the hospital, I was always keep asking, how's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And so we made it a point that she could stay with me in the hospital because okay. I explained to the doctors, well, she witnessed it and I need to make sure that she is mentally okay. How old and was she at the time? She was 11 at the 11. time. Okay. And my sons were nine and seven. So when I then realized because at the at the moment at the at the site I did not know I broke my back I just thought I broke my both both my legs yeah but I didn't have nothing to compare it to because I never broken anything sure. prior mm-hmm. so and I could feel something in my leg kind of like that that zinging feeling like you're you're holding onto a hot wired fence oh, you know okay. that electricity yeah. and uh, but then when finally I started to get the pain in my chest then the nursing you know skill kicked in and I thought well, I might have a broken rib and maybe a punctured lung. And so I started to keep myself calm. So I did, would not pass out. I would not lose consciousness and stuff like that. So as the, you know, the firemen finally got there, I was kind of directing them what to do, <laughs> you know, because I just wanted to make sure that my mind would stay, you know. So, so this was on site still? On where site. You were, yeah, that was yeah. still on site. Yeah. yeah. And so then they decided when I heard life flight, I just knew, oh, this is worse yeah. than I probably expected. But also I lived in a rural area where, the Canyon road would have been taken too long to go to the hospital. Um, So I knew that they had to airlift me, but yeah, I was never really worried. I was, it was weird. And maybe I was in denial. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, they make wheelchairs, but I did not know I was paralyzed until they told me. And that's when I also lost the the ability to understand English. Cause once they told me that I broke my back, I thought, okay, that's fixable. And then they said, well, you're paralyzed. And that means you'll never walk again. That was a whole different whole different ball game and then you lose because you're in shock now yeah and then i could not understand a word of english anymore that is fascinating very weird yeah so that's pretty scary too yeah because now you're laying in in a trauma hospital and can't communicate with people right yeah and you just don't understand and so then they realize that okay she's in shock so then they dope you up you know uh Mm -hmm. just protect you know your body and yourself and then later you know, your mind's going like, well, what does this mean? And then I thought like, wow, I, my main thing, like, what am I going to do with my, how am I going to raise my kids? It was not yeah, even yeah. about me at that point. It was just yeah. all, you know, that, that's yeah, the, and that was probably my about. drive. Yeah. And that's what we talk a lot about here is in that period, you know, you immediately just think of the things that aren't going to be, you know, or how are they going to be? Yeah. And, you know, and you're looking for answers, right? So, yeah. so I, that was, uh, I was curious what kind of, you know, 20 years ago, what kind of services did they have? Did peer support come and visit you while you're in the hospital or did they have any of that in place? Not at all. I, yeah, did, so I was so new to that. I didn't even know. So, I yeah. mean, living in cool, I lived in cool at the time, tiny little town outside Auburn between Auburn and Coloma. Yes. Um, I mean, word spreads fast there, you know, news spread, uh, spread fast. And uh, even while I was flown in, I think half of my town was already at the ER and ev- wow. or at the hospital. Everybody was like, what's going on? Is there a famous person coming here? What's going on? But horse community. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we had that. But I was the only one that ever in that town that ever with all the horses around. Right. Mm-hmm. That had yeah. a spinal cord that had a, an, um, um, severe injury due to a horseback uh, accident. And nobody knew what to do. And I just want to make sure 
that everybody's life was just going to go on and and not giving up horseback right because some people decided maybe we should sell her horses and all that stuff i'm like no that will be my decision and we'll figure it out first yeah. you know because the first thing everybody wants to do is pr- protect you and <laughs> right. put all that danger away and uh and i even is doing my- the quote signs by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Let> people know <laughs> yeah. it's it's like, you know, quote, unquote, like, well, we'll just try to make it easier for her. I'm like, well, I'm not even out of the hospital yet. And you decide that, you know, life without horse. I couldn't even picture my life without horses. Yeah. You yeah. know, and even the doctors told me you will never walk again. You'll never ride again. And then being Dutch and have Spanish blood, we're different breeds. So <laughs> you kind of feel like, well, let me just prove you wrong. Um, you do not decide for me what I can do. You know, it, it's something. It- I've had this question for the longest time because if I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody's story and they say, the doctor said, yeah, you know, that this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. In in my own case, you know, that I started with two full braces, you know, and you know, he'll never be without two full braces, you know, and over time, you know, was able to get rid of one and, you know, still have the other, but, you know, and then I've heard that from other people that just, the doctor said this wouldn't happen. This wouldn't happen. Yeah. And, and I don't know if they do that on purpose to, you know, to kind of inspire us to to do more than we think we could do. I, I don't know. Or if they- I don't know. I asked that question many times. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, yeah. I kept the work because I had my surgery at Sutter Roseville. And then I was transferred five days later to UC Davis. Now, my neurosurgeon, the one that fought for me to do that surgery, because there was a team of more than one neurosurgeons, of course. And um, if, and I know if I had gone to UC Davis, they would have done the surgery completely different. They would have cut me open from the front, the side and the back due to the injuries. Yeah. This doctor, Dr. David Jones, um, he decided we're just going to minimize the scarring. So he just he got done everything done uh, through the back. And um Every time I would meet with him, he would come to my room and he would always tell me, don't let anyone tell you what you cannot do. And for a neurosurgeon, and I'm a nurse, and that struck me. And I'm like, normally they are more concerned about their job and what they've done, their technical stuff. He was in my head telling me, you do you and you do not let any, because nobody knows. Yeah. Spinal injury, nobody knows. And I took his words the whole time I was staying in UC Davis and then there you have a hospital that tell you, you know, you can do this, you can't do that. And then every time I would almost believe them, I would hear Dr. David Jones in my head. Don't let them, no matter who you, who they are. And he was the one that, um, yeah, I, I, I valued his words more. And yeah. four months that, later, that I one conversation can turn the entire course of your life. Yeah. Is that little and, voice and because was in of your him, head. Because of Dr. David Jones, um, four months later, after my injury, I was back in the saddle and been riding. Good for you. So, so you know, so let me let me ask you this too. You say you wanted to minimize scarring. Now you're not talking about necessarily the cosmetic part of the scarring, but internally for healing processes, right? I think he he took that in consideration, but yeah. also being a young woman and a okay. mother, and you know why scarring? Well, because you know scars are uh, a topic of conversation when people see you. You know. Yeah. The scar on my back, when you wear a certain clothes, yeah, you probably can see it, but it, uh, eliminating the scar in the front and the, and also the healing process is much, much harder yeah. when the more cuts they're going to make. So it's trauma just, on your body. Yeah. Yeah. And he told me that he had um, discussions with the other surgeon 
because they said, well, normally we do this and this and this. And then Dr. Jones said, well, we can make the decision while she's on the table, but let me, I'm the one in charge and I'm going to do it this way. And so, you know, thank God, because yeah, I don't think the recovery would have been maybe as, as smooth and as fast as, uh, you know? Yeah. So, so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're obviously a strong woman and may not need as much help as other folks, but just on a a number of different levels, emotionally and, and, and physically, was there assistance available to kind of help you with all the things that you were going to have to learn or did you just kind of do all that yourself? No, um, I know that, um, you know, and it's funny how you say like you're a strong woman and Sometimes that gave me a little bit that feeling like, well, I didn't sign up for that job, <laughs> right? you know, yeah. because I'm not, I'm not a strong, I'm just like everybody else. I deal maybe with certain things differently. Uh, and maybe I gave the impression that I'm sorry, but then when I, and in a hospital, you're surrounded by people that take care of you. You're, why would I worry there? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's when I had to go home because when I start, when they start checking off the list, like, well, she's ready to go home. That was only five weeks after my injury. That was like, no, I heard people are staying at least a year, 10 months to a year. And I've heard this before, too. I've heard this before where, you know, in the hospital, you're kind of in this cocoon, right? And everything's taken care of. I'm safe. I'm I'm being taken care of. I don't have to I don't have to face the real world. Right. And my family would come and visit. But then when my discharge date came, then I started to panic. Yeah, I was like, I'm not ready for the real world because I don't know how to navigate. Um, in a wheelchair. I don't even want to do it the time that I'm in the hospital, let alone do it that for the rest of my life. My life yeah. um, because it's not, oh, you broke your leg in 12 weeks, the cast will be off and you'll be fine. This is yeah. how do you, you know, um, and again, I was more worried about my daughter. So I put my worries aside. Um, it was that good. Not so much because eventually I was starting to get, you know, uh, the point that I don't know how to deal with this. I just don't, I cannot do this on my own. Mentally. 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 Yeah. Physically, they make wheelchairs. You know, we can go right, point right. A, point B and, 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 and all the transfers. First, you use that sliding board. Now I like to use it to slap people upside the head <laughs> with it sometimes, you know, the comments that we get. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it, it's uh, you know, and I've been around people with disabilities in wheelchairs, so that was not foreign to me. It was just like, how am I going to do this living in the mountains, you know, having small children? Am I still able to protect them? Yeah. You know, like if something happens, can I run after something or can, if they cross the street? All those fears were just, you know, they were taken over a little bit. And living so far from, you know, the population, it's like I had nobody to talk to. Yeah. And then there uh, there were um, support groups that they offered when I was Go ahead, Eric. I have uh, two questions for you. My first question is, um, how did you find your passion for riding horses? Um, I always loved horses. I always loved the way they were designed to to carry people, cargo, whatever, to get us, you know, there was prior to having cars and stuff. You know, people did that. And just the way they move and um so and then i met friends that had horses and then i kind of fell in love with it and started to write yeah and then after my spinal cord injury they're really good therapy animals because for hip you know they use hippotherapy for people with neurological issues so that's how i learned how to get back on the horse and ride um you know with an injury and what was your second question 
How long have you been in LVN? Uh, when I, uh, let's see, how old was I? <laughs> I graduated at 19 and had my license and my LVN license back in the Netherlands. So it sounds like uh, it, it never was a decision that you were even making to leave the mountain. You never even, that wasn't even a consideration or did you give that a no, moment? No, no I just yeah. wanted to, I, I thought, let me find out how I'm going to do it. If, if yeah. people tell you, oh, sell your horses, then yeah, the horses will be gone, but I've never really tried to see if I can, I, I want to make that decision. Yes. If I, if, I, if it would be too hard and I couldn't do it anymore, then I have to make that change, that life change. But there was so much, you know, that comes on your plate at that moment. It's like, yeah. you can't walk anymore. You Now you're in a wheelchair. You live in an area where there's no sidewalks. Uh, the Your driveway is so steep, you can't roll down a wheelchair with it. So the first up. year, yeah, the first year was really hard because I was also, I had no mobility. I didn't have a car that I could drive. So you are dependent on people taking you places. And yeah, as a caregiver asking for help, those two things don't always work well. You yeah, know, it's yeah. really hard to ask for help if you're yeah. that independent. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, um, that that's the independent living philosophy that, you know, I was telling you about Rolling Start earlier. Um, and, and that's one of the big things. Our mission statement is, you know, helping people with disabilities live the most in independent life of their choice. And yeah. I always tell people choice is one of the most important words in that sentence, because yeah. like when you were getting out of the hospital and your, your family and your community rallied around you, you know, to protect you. And, and that's, and that's fine kind of at that moment. But what yeah. happens is, is people want to make choices for people who are disabled. Yeah. You know, they see them and they see that they, they need some help in some areas or, or whatever, and they want to help, but they're taking those decisions yeah. away from us. And, and I, and I've talked to a lot of people about that, like why that is. And, you know, now 20, you know, 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, later, I don't think they do that purposely to hurt us. They no. that's never do. It's they are so hurt that they don't know how to deal with it. So if they take that chore or that thing away and make it easier for us, it, they actually do it easier for them because they have a hard time seeing us struggling yeah. doing what seems so easy. You know, yeah. uh, uh, if you can, uh, you know, if you don't have that disability. And so I learned also to. Uh, understand where they were coming from. Otherwise we become, you know, the bitter people in the wheelchairs and, uh, yeah. and the stubborn ones. And there's nothing wrong with being stubborn because that's dr what drives us. Drives right? us yeah. There's stubbornness and there's stubbornness. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really hard. Uh, you know, I had a really good support system with my family and the children and children are resilient. They, they just, you know, they're so different. They're honest. Uh, they don't beat around the bush with the questions and, and I preferred those questions. Ask me what you want, and then it's up to me whether I want to answer yes, it or not, not. Yeah. or if I have a hard time. So then uh, in 2006, two years later, uh, there was a, a process prior to that. I mean, I, you know, I'll keep that short, but there was a chance I was going to get stem cell surgery in Portugal. Mm -hmm. Well, then my spinal cord showed signs that I was healing. So this, the surgery was off the table, but I could still go to um, Michigan at the RIM, the rehab uh, Institute in Michigan for the intensive therapy program. And uh, I went there, it was all out of pocket, of course, you know, because it's not co uh, con considered non-traditional therapy. So insurance doesn't cover it. But that's where I finally found people that were my peers, that were people that were all disabled, all different kinds of disabilities. Yeah. 
Now, the support group at UC Davis was good. And I've met a lot of people that are now still my friends, but they were so many years ahead of me. So I could not, I have nothing in common with them. They would tell me, oh, you can do that sport. You can drive, you can do. Well, I was not in that space yet. Uh, I was not ready. I just got newly injured. And you're telling me that, Oh, you're driving a car and you snow skiing. Well, that's nice for you, but that ain't my world yet. Yeah, I'm trying to take and care of some basics here. Exactly. And so yeah. then um, I became a little bit more vocal about that in the within the group and the doctors. And so we actually, while I was inpatient, we made it to, we would have meetings with the staff, the doctors and the staff, and they would listen to us for once and not us listening to them. Wow, very so good. So we'd say, Maybe you should not treat us this way. Maybe you should not say this to us because even if we are in denial, because that's what I hear all the time. Oh, you're in denial. You're in denial. And I kept saying, but I'm happy here. You know, <laughs> I'm happy on my denial mountain, <laughs> but let me be in denial and let me figure out that finding ways to get my old life back. I know I have to do it differently, but mm-hmm. I still want my old life back. I still want to be that cowgirl. Don't take that away from me. You know, identity. Yeah, exactly. And so it was I was surprised that they were open to that. But being a teaching hospital, you kind of assumed that they would be, you know, and And so that's pretty state of the art now. Yeah. Right. To listen to. Yeah. Go figure. Go listen to the people that are living it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I because I always say after they were done with their little, um, you know, spiel and their speech. (laughs) And I would always tell them, so, doctor, how long have you been in a wheelchair? And then you go, well, I'm not in a wheelchair. Because, well, that's my point. That's my point. So yeah, you don't know. You, you just go. learn in books. And being a nurse, I learned out of books too. But then we also learn in, in, in the real world that it's so different. Because in one way, and that was always that got me, They, if I would come up with a suggestion, like, well, you cannot, you should not compare yourself with everybody else that's hurt because everybody's different. Because, okay, that makes sense. And yet... Then they say, well, you know, everybody with a spinal cord cannot do this. I'm like, well, aren't you contradicting yourself? <laughs> yourself, right now? exactly. So, yeah. I mean, and, and so then you lose kind of trust in that doctor that is trying to help you through because you're not helping us. So you're making us be depressed and not want to try. And I said, so now you're just dealing with the, you know, I'm, I've been, you know, thank God the horse only landed on the lower part of my body, not my head. Otherwise, I would not know, yeah. you know, if I could not make my decisions myself. Yeah. So I started to fight through that a little bit. Like, do not tell me. And and even if I have to struggle, let me struggle until I have to find a different solution. I, you know, you I know. probably don't say this enough to, to people, but, you know, and it's not something you can't just blurt out to people, but everything I do looks like I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, so you can't go, you can't follow me around and help me with Every, everything I do. No. You know, I, I could be getting a pan out to cook something and that looks like I'm struggling struggling you know to, yeah. to, to, to an able-bodied person so yeah. yeah you have to keep that in mind you know yeah and, and that comes back to you know when you uh when i then started um you know after michigan being like oh i'm not the only one everybody here is in a wheelchair and then you learn from their experiences because i would take more yeah. you know from them than somebody that has never gone through you know the hardships that we gone through and so when i went to support groups over there I also met with their caregivers or their parents, you know, from the, the person that was injured. Now, being a mom and a nurse and somebody with a spinal cord injury, I understood three all three ways. Yeah. So I would talk to the parents, go like, well, but, 
you know, uh, it's so hard for me to see your struggle. And, and she used, you know, uh, why doesn't she do the stuff that you guys do? And then, so now I'm becoming the other person. I'm not becoming me in the wheelchair. And I said, well, how, how often did your daughter play sports? How active was she? She goes, well, she wasn't. Because, well, what makes you think she's going to be active after a life-changing injury? Yes. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. The ones that are driven before are finding a way, but help her by if it's hard for you to see your daughter dropping something a hundred times, then turn around, go into another room because by the hundred and second time, if it still doesn't, she will ask you for help, but yep. let us figure out what our limitations what are. Our limitations. Yep. And so then I started to like, Oh wait, maybe there's a, you know, there's a, a reason to why I survived this accident because we also go through the why me, why mm -hmm. me. And then, and I've gone through the same thing. And then I decided to change the question around why not me and what is the lesson learned out of this. So maybe educating people. And that's what I'm trying to do now, yeah. you know, or the last 20 years, like educate people, you know, like we're not fragile. We're already been broken, you know, but let us just, um, let us make uh, the mistakes. Or let us get through the hurdles and see what can we do and where do we need help. But if yeah. you take everything away from us, that's when we start feeling disabled. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, uh, you know this was back in the mid fifties, so a long time ago, before yeah. there was any of this kind of thought. Now, but um, you know, and it's amazing that this uh, this nurse had the the foresight to say this to my parents was you know. You know, this is still because we were quarantined for three or four months when we first had polio. And yeah. some, and, and this is my dad's description this battle axe of a nurse took us aside and said, You know, whatever you do, don't do for these kids. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I always get upset when I talk about this. But, um, but that's they had the courage to it, like two years old, if we fell. To wait and, and let get us back. get up by ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that was out in public. Yeah. So the, the strength of standing there while a two-year-old child is crying and people are looking at you like a monster because yeah. you're not helping your kid up, you know? Yeah. To me, that just takes special courage. <laughs> yeah, especially when your child has an, a disability. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if you have a you know, quote unquote, healthy child. I'm mm -hmm. a mother of three. When they first start from crawling to walking or standing, we're sitting back and let and watch them do it on their own. Yeah. There's nothing different. Part of the learning process, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's nothing different. If your baby falls because, you know, I'm like, oh, get up, do it again. We don't pick him up and make him stand up. So that is like, why are people then different when there is a disability? And that's why education is so important. We need to educate them. And then um, I've heard this many times though, like, well, you can talk to your blue in the face, but some people won't get it. And I goes, even if one person gets it, I'll yeah. be happy. Yeah. You can't change the world. You know, what is it? Uh, um, Rome wasn't built in a day, day. you know, yeah. but if you don't, if you don't, uh, I always assume that the people that I meet probably don't know anybody with a disability and then I don't mind t uh, teaching them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it comes to simple things as parking in our handicap spots, you know, able-bodied parking. Up. You know, you can get mad about it and you can cuss at them, but that that doesn't make them change it. But if you tell them like, well, I'm an independent woman, I live by myself. And if you occupy this space, 
then I cannot get out of the car and do my grocery by myself. And so, then you just plant a different seed. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah. Um, so, and the one I, I started to kind of worry about is, you know, you and I and a number of the guests that we've had on this show, we're the ones that are, I, I, I hate to say have made it, but, but we have overcome those obstacles and we're out there living fully independent lives. But I wonder about those that we don't see, you know, people that yeah. have, you know, sustained an injury like you have. And, you know, they didn't have that strength to say, you know, let me do it myself. Or, you know, they they enjoyed that being taken care of and never got out of that phase where they were being taken care of. And, and you know, what is that doing to them? The isolation that because they can't get out on their own. They have to yeah. wait for somebody to take them out. I, you know, I just, I, I just wonder, you know, about those folks and, and, you know, I, and their well-being. That's, yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up because I've always, uh, cause I also am a part of a support group now that's a little bit more local here. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first got hurt, I'm like, where are the women? Seriously? I had not met a woman in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair I'm like, yeah. well, can be the only one. So what happens? And I did do a search when I first got hurt, you know, 20 years ago, like, Okay, I'm 36 years old. I sustained a spinal cord injury. Well, you know, and that was kind of new still with the computers, right? Right. And when I read the most devastating article, it was that the lifespan of a woman close to 40, late 30s, you know, 40s, uh, sustaining a spinal cord injury is only 15 years. I'm like, well, why? Why? And then you dig, you know, we have more, you know, things that uh, physically things can go wrong medically, you know, you, uh, organs that shut down, but it's depression marriages that fall apart, um, all that stuff. And women in that age are usually already settled, right? They're married, they have kids, they've done their life. Cha- I already did a big life changing. You know, I came from Europe over here and now you have another thing thrown at you. We're not ready to change everything again. Men, maybe on the other hand, or younger uh, population that get injured, they that got a little bit more to prove, you know? So I'm like, but that's pretty, I don't want to be that statistic. No. And that's why I learned to like, okay, I'm going to stay healthy. I don't want skin breakdown. And thank God I specialize in wound care. So that helps. But I just wanted to know where are all these women and why are they not out there? Why don't I see them? And and that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I play sports, as you know, you know, through yeah. your brother. And it is in, that is very intimidating because we have to do it differently and we probably suck at it in the beginning, but it doesn't mean we can't do it, Dude, but it is yeah. a male dominating world, you know, the sport. Even yep. if you look at the professional ones now, you still see more men doing it. And so when I finally start, you know, um, meeting the women and talking to them, it's like, a- again, it comes to when you said like, you seem like a strong person. When you first get hurt or first get that news that, something you have to alter your life um there's not such thing as strong we're all you know we're all suffering and crying and and feeling bad for ourselves and there's nothing wrong with that you know we have to allow ourselves to go through those emotional roller coasters um in order to get to where you're eventually going to be i mean if i look back now 20 years ago no i wasn't like this i i put up maybe um a, a good face for everybody else because i had the three children that i needed to be strong for but I allowed myself to cry in front of my kids and say, I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore because that's the human part of me. Yeah. So they understood that if something happens to the kids that they don't think like, you know, because my kids were baseball players, right? They could have been hit by a ball and that could have been 
traumatic brain injury or what kind of injuries. So if I pretend that this is all nice and dandy, that's that's not re- you know realistic. Realistic, yeah. So yeah. we have to allow. And I've been back to hospitals to see if there's new injuries in there. And then I said, whenever you're ready, because right now you don't want to hear what my life is about. But if you're ready to, when that freight train hits you, here's my contact information. And um, allow that person to cuss at whatever they believe in at the world and feel that way. Be angry because then you get it out of your system, sure. you know. It's valuable no to people. see you in your, just by example. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to Well, and that's to another just, thing, too. Here's somebody that's uh, got it done. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of years after my uh, accident, right in the town where I got hurt, a friend, my friend got injured by um, a horse and also ended up in a wheelchair. And everybody said, like, oh, but look at Taya, look what she doing. I'm like, no, 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 no. She does not want to hear that right now. So do not compare her situation because in her mind right now, her life just ended. Her world just ended. Yeah. And so I said, the best thing I can do is just visit her in the hospital. And that's what I did. Um, I asked the nursing staff just to leave. And I had everything that was non-breakable in front of her. And I said, go for it. You know, show me how you feel. And she started throwing stuff. And everybody at the ICU was like, what's happening in that room? I go, she's fine, but she needs to do this. You know, she needs to do this. And I said to her parents, do not get rid of her horses. Do not, uh, you know, uh, compare my life with her life right now. She will get there eventually, but not right now. You know? You, you test on a few other things there, too. Um, and, and maybe we can speak to that a little bit. But I want to get on to your accomplishments at some point, too, you know, because you have you have some great. One or two. <laughs> one or two. I like it. So just you talked about wound care and, you know, in your skin. And I'm sure there's a, a lot of in, um, issues uh, with, you know, your, your gastro health and all of those things that are can be unique to somebody who's, yes. you know, a quadriplegic or right. So. Yeah. Maybe just briefly, if, if from your background as a nurse, touch on a few of those. So it is, first of all, important to, you know, check your skin. And uh, from what I've witnessed is, yes, just because we cannot feel our lower limbs, it doesn't mean we cannot take care of them. Like still dry between your toes after a shower because they're the farthest from your mind. So you're not <laughs> paying attention. Well, that's where a little fungus can uh, form or, you know, you can get, um, you know, irritation or if you have a little cut. I am, unfortunately, for the ones that can't, and fortunately for me, I am able to feel. So I know that if my my foot hits something, and often I would say, like, oh, that hurts, because it obviously hurts, you know, because I can feel it. But that also makes me be more aware of, like, oh, let me check that I don't have any little cuts that can potentially get infected. Um, So for me, I always check my skin. You know, um, and especially when I wanted to get back on the horse, it's like, how long am I able to sit in a saddle without getting any sores? Right. So, um, yeah, you just have to you have to get um, in tune with your body and check every nook and cranny and just make sure that, um, you know, you're doing what needs to be done, whether it's pressure relief. Um, I really don't have to do it as much as other people because I can feel so I already shift over without even thinking about it. And I transfer a lot uh, standing. I have a standing frame. I do, you know, I wish that that was covered through insurance because that is the main thing somebody with a spinal cord injury should have. So you can do the weight bearing and remind those, uh, the the ankles, the knees and the hip joints, what it is to carry all that weight. You know, the longer we sit, um, the fluid in the joints are not being made. And so 
you're going to get bone on bone. We get um, arthritis, osteoporosis, all that stuff, you know. So it's um, educating yourself is very important as well. We cannot always rely on what the doctor says. You have to be more proactive and advocate for yourself. And and I mean, we have yeah. the Internet nowadays, you know. Yeah, an advocate for yourself and you know yourself better than yes. anybody. You, you know, know when that's... something's wrong yeah. and you better, you know, um, tell that person that that medical uh, staff, even if they don't believe that it is, you tell them, you know, uh, that, well, this is my body. I know it's different. And then they go again, like, well, everybody with a spinal cord injury, you know, I'm like, no, because now you're contradicting everything <laughs> that they're t- trying to tell you not to do is comparing you with somebody. But yeah. it is hard. It, it, it is pretty hard. And it's continual too. You know, you you have to continue to educate yourself because our bodies change as we age. And, exactly. You know, there's yeah. new new things that you have to kind of deal with. So let's let's get to some of the fun stuff. So uh, horseback riding, we know that's in your past. So, but you made a transition, not probably away from that, but into other things. So you started hand cycling and yeah, and got quite good at it, evidently. Yeah, I was uh, I was competing at a national level and I did some international I did international lead too. Um, yeah, that was something that because with the horseback riding you're dependent on the on person. You know, I I could not drive my truck; it was not an accessible, uh, you know, an adaptive uh, truck. So then yeah. you have to have people that help you and then uh, get you on your horse. Eventually, I did train my horse to lay down so I could mount him that way if oh. I needed to. But I wanted to do something more independent, and that's yeah. when it became a sport. You know, you can still, um, uh, you know, get into. I do need help getting in the bike because of my legs and stuff like that. But it's a sport that you can do on your own, yeah. and you know, you're riding, and and then you're out of your wheelchair. You don't feel that you know you're associated with that chair. Um, a little bit more freedom, you know, definitely a little bit more freedom. Uh, more work than horseback riding because a horse does all the work for me. Now I have to put all the work into it, you know, in racing. But I enjoyed it. And that was something that I could probably do with my children because mm-hmm. my daughter still rode with me, but my sons were a little bit more nervous. And, I, you know, I had to down, uh, downsize a little bit because I had five horses. Um, like, you know, one got hurt. That's enough. We don't need anybody else in the family because it can happen, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. So um, I wanted to be able to do something that I can do as a whole family and that's cycling, you know, why not? Um, but then it, I took it a little bit further when I started to compete. I'm like, oh, you can actually win things and, you know, you can travel and yeah. That Very was really nice. Fun. So so now are, are the competitive days behind you or are you just doing it for leisure now? Uh, the international and at the, at the Paralympic level, kind of, because it is really hard and I had nobody that goes with me. So traveling by myself, that was just harder. And then after that crash in 2014, I was uh, uh, laid up for about 10 months with, you know, broken pelvis and then a broken thumb. So that's a long time to come back. I was at my peak at that time. And to come back after 10 months, it's a, it's hard training. I, I'm trying to remember, Taya, if we, we talked about that before we started the interview or yeah. did, so you were alluding to a crash in 2014, maybe Yes, uh, I was uh, I was uh, training for the Paralympics in uh, uh, that at that time for the one in Rio. I had a chance to go to London, but um, uh, they let the person that was not going to go. They let her go anyways. But and that's also the reason why I became a U.S. citizen, because I wanted to represent the United States of America. But I wasn't sure because I only had a couple of months to get my American passport. Okay. And normally becoming a U.S. citizen takes what up to 10 years. Years, you know? yeah. And uh, I got it done in one day. So that was kind of nice. 
but uh, but I didn't get the chance to go to London and then I start training for the for the Rio games and uh, so yeah then in one local race in Lodi uh, there was a, a bad crash uh, needless to say I won the race and then I crashed so you know oh. that was good <laughs> yeah. so I got at least that one still in the in the pocket but yeah, I had a really bad crash where I broke the pelvis on all four of your ischium bones. Mm -hmm. And then I also broke my thumb. Yeah, so that was kind of like, uh, kind of ended more the at that that national level of racing. I still do organized rides, long distance, and marathons. Now, when you do those, uh, is it competitive for you? Are you? Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, never yeah. Get, when you're at the start line, it's like, I want to be the first over the finish line. But when I'm training others, because that's what I've been doing too, I've been helping training, getting oh, okay. people excited in cycling, then I don't mind waiting for them, you know, because it's, I've done it already. I want them to succeed as well. And I yeah. want them to, you know, push them a little bit um, harder and, you know, like what the people did before, for me, you know, to get to where I was at. By the time um, yeah. I came to hand cycling, I, I was trying to think of how old I was, probably 50-ish, at least, okay. or, or in the neighborhood of 50s. And uh, so... Other than maybe being competitive with my age group, you know, there was no like overall. Yeah. I wish well, I had found it earlier to tell you the truth because. Well, I started in my mid 40s, late, late yeah. 40s, you know, and you know, you know, Rick Mason, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was my coach. He was my first coach. Okay. And if, and I could not catch him and he's a quad and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and I was in that old, old hand cycle, right? The yeah. freedom rider. Okay, and he yeah. started me, he started me to get that passion and then. The day, the day that I passed him, he goes, okay, my job is done. Now you have to find another coach because I can't train you anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was people like uh, Rick Mason and Chris Hood uh, who, you know, Chris got me more to a, you know, to a higher level because he was a um, an athlete himself, a triathlete, you know, a para-athlete. But, um, yeah, it's uh, that community that, and again, not many women that I was racing with. So I was, all I had was these men and they would not ease up on me. No. They go like, you want to hang with us? <laughs> so, you know, thank you for pushing me that hard. But yeah, so that was good. And I want to give back. I always want to yeah. give back to yeah. the new one. Yeah. And um, my racing days, you know, I still enjoy it. We'll still do 30s, uh, centuries, half centuries, whatever. But uh, helping others to find that, that, uh, that drive just for them, for their own accomplishment. Because they don't need to be racing at a um, you know, national level because that's a lot of pressure on it. But as yeah. long as they do something for themselves that they know yeah. that they can do, then I'll help you any way I can. That's where I was. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I, you know, I did a triathlon was the first event that I got involved with and it was through possibilities, which is uh, another organization yeah. here. And, uh, and I got the bike through a grant. And so they, they trained me in about six weeks out from doing this uh, wow. triathlon. And on the day of the event, you probably heard of Carlos Melita. That's my, he's my mentor. Okay. See, he, he, uh, he rode along with me, Yeah, you know, side by side on the, on this. And yeah, he, he's tough, you know, you know, Carlos. he's, tough. So he's, he's like, a good guy. He's, yeah, he, he, absolutely. He's like telling me it's all in your head, you it's, know, it's all in your head. Your body can do anything. It's your mind that they will yeah. give up on you, you know, so you just gotta be strong here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he was the one. Cause once I met him, you know, when, when you travel, then you get to meet, the whole community, it was, yeah. it was just like, oh my gosh, these people, what am I doing here? I don't even know what I'm doing. And so he was my mentor. He was always training. And again, I was always around the men. And then I got um, really embraced by the PVA, the paralyzed veterans, because um, 
you know, they helped me with sponsoring a little bit because they had one okay. female in the group. So and she had a TBI. And so they said, well, with the rooming, you know, uh, when it comes to hotels, I'm like, I cannot afford all that stuff. And they said, if you room with her, we'll pay for your hotel. So, you know, you just awesome. you give and you, you, you give back. Yeah. And Carlos, I remember he called me and he goes, you need to do the Alaska challenge. You, you heard about the uh, the Saddler's Alaska challenge. I'm like, I am not material for that. So I joked around like, you know what, Carlos, I'll sign up when you do. He goes, good, because I signed up yesterday. Sure. And I'm like, (laughs) now I started to get nervous, right? Yeah. And uh, well, needless to say, I I trained my my butt off and we went and I managed to win the women's division for the first time. There's no women's division prior to that. Yeah. And uh, so thanks, you know, to people like that, pushing you and pushing you and, um, and yeah, again, saying like you, it's all, you know, your own ability, disability is in between your ears. You know, yeah, if we yeah. make it at our, you know, we're probably sometimes our worst enemies because we uh, worry about what everybody else thinks of us and, and, and which is legit. Mm-hmm. It, it comes with the territory, but then you have the people that do believe in you and say, let's just do it. And then, you know, and then you figure it out that you can. And I remember my first medal. Oh my God. I, they have these, all these guys and, you know, they're so proud of you. That just is so amazing that you know that all the sweat, blood and tears paid off, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it uh, was something I did with my daughter, you know, at first she had never run before. So when I did the triathlon, I think is when she did her first 5k. Nice. And, and that kind of started her. So she started doing half marathons. Yeah. Uh, did, I think at least one full marathon and then she broke her ankle and had to retire. So, oh, yeah, which she, Bummer. you know, you know how it is. But she did it. Yeah, she, she did, did it. it. She did yeah. it. But and and it was she just loved running so much. It was it's what helped her, you know, yeah. mentally. Is it, that's where she released her stress being out running. So yeah. you know, so when that uh, went away, she she still climbs and and does other things. But yeah, the running days are behind yeah. her. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. I like that. So now. You're with Access Leisure in Sacramento. Tell us about them and what they do. So um, back, I believe it must have been 2008 or 2009, because I remember coming back from uh, Michigan. That's where I got introduced into hand cycling, because while I was there, I would live there for four months. I was supposed to be there only for a couple of weeks, but I did so well that they picked up the cost for me to stay. And uh, so I got in a hand cycle that they let me borrow for the in the weekends, you know, cause we had therapy from Monday through Friday and the weekends we had time of our own, but they let me borrow a, a freedom rider. That's the first time in a, in a hand cycle. And I thought, Oh, the freedom, you know, kind of uh, yeah. no pun intended, but the freedom you get from not being in a, in a wheelchair and everybody thinks you just got a high tech bike and it looks really cool. And so when I came back to California after that, I'm like, I would like to have a hand cycle, but I didn't know where to get. I had no, I didn't know people that knew how to get where. And then somehow I got involved or my information got to Annie, Anita Salerno, mm-hmm. who was then running the program, and Jenny yeah. and Rick Mason. And they said, you have to come to Yosemite, the Rock and Roll Yosemite. And I said, what is Rock and Roll Yosemite? Because, oh, it's a camp that we do with uh, people with disabilities that are in wheels and have disabilities. And of course, I, at that time, it was only two years prior, uh, after post-injury. I'm like, I don't want to be in that world. I'm not in that disabled world. I'm me. I want to, I'm a cowgirl. I ride my horses. And he goes, no, you need to do this. And he goes, well, what else are you guys going to do there? Just like rolling around in a, in a wheelchair. 
Now, mind you, Yosemite has a special place in my heart. So that's where I went for my honeymoon. Oh, okay. And I thought after I got hurt, knowing the terrain, there's no way I could ever go there again and see, you know, what Yosemite has to offer. Little did I know. So then they said, well, we go rock climbing and we go hand cycling because, well, I don't have a hand cycle. And Rick Mason, like, well, but we do. I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, but I want a hand cycle that I'm used to when I was in Michigan. It's called the Freedom Rider. Well, I didn't know Rick, Rick Mason rides one. He goes, we have those. And I'm like, shoot, I need to get out of this. I don't want to go. I just really didn't want to go. <laughs> You're just and then I said, well, throw excuses at him. Yes. <laughs> excuse after excuse. And I'm finally, I said like, well, fine, you know, I'll go. It's just to get you off my back. Yeah. <laughs> and I went and that completely changed my life because I started to get to know people in my surroundings that were in wheelchairs. It's a whole new world for me that opened up. Yeah. Like I'm not yeah. alone. I can't, you know, and I saw some women that were there. They had different disabilities, not necessarily something like I have, but I could at least talk to, because I was looking for women that I could connect with, right? Because we have different issues that, we, uh, that, we, uh, um, that we're going through. And so I started out with Access Leads as a participant. I was mm -hmm. a person with a disability. And then I started to volunteer more because I wanted to learn more about it. And it made me feel good to help other people. And um, then in that time, a couple of years, you know, after that, I went through a divorce and I needed a job, but I knew I could not do the work that I did as an LVN working in, uh, I'm specialized in Alzheimer's, you know? And so I know that job is a little bit more dangerous because people can get a little bit aggressive at times. And then now I'm in a chair, I can't, I wouldn't be able to defend myself. So I knew that job would be not for me anymore, but what do I do? You know, I did my license had expired, you know, and do I go back to school and did not have the money for that. So I talked to Annie one time uh, when she invited me to a support group and I said, Hey, Annie, just so you know, my life has changed. I need a job now, you know, and uh, you know, my background, if you, if you hear of anything, let me know. And so we did the support group that evening. And then before we went home, she goes, well, that makes no sense. She goes, you've been volunteering for us for years. We might as well just put you on the payroll. And that's how I got to become a uh, staff. Very nice. So, yeah. So, so how, how long has that been? So, uh, so I started out then in 2008 or nine and I've gone to the Yosemite thing, volunteered and then officially on the payroll in 2015. 15. Yeah. So, so all the, the hand cycling and competitive part that was post 2008? No, that was in between still. So, because I, I needed a, a boss that would allow me oh, to, okay. you know, so having Annie and Jenny, like, you give us your schedule and, you know, and so they were very, especially because the Paralympic sports that they were running, yeah. that was, to them, it was great and that and that helped. So I yeah. could train and, and was out of town for a week every month. Uh, there was no problem with that because with Access Leisure, you can pretty much schedule your own um, agenda, you yeah. know, so that was, yeah, it worked out really good. And in that same time that I got hired with Excess Leisure, because that was more a seasonal job, I could not really pay all my bills. I also got hired as a DSP in a board and care home in Lodi. And I worked there full time, plus Excess Leisure, plus doing my sports. Gotcha. A gotcha. lot. <laughs> I think that was my first experience with the hand cycle was probably, uh, it was Annie and Excess Leisure yeah. you know, through Drew. And yeah. uh, we went up to, um, where was it? Lake Tahoe, I think, up in that yeah. area. They had a nice riding path and 
you know, they had yeah. the trailer that had all the, the, all the bikes and in it. cycles and, and away and then, we went. You know, then I got to know uh, Mark Wellman with the climbing wall, you know, out of Truckee. Um, and, um, oh, now I, uh, I, you know him too. He did the water sports. Um, um, and he did also a lot with Excess Leisure or through Annie. Why can I not think of his name? He lives in Roseville now. He had a stroke. And uh, he was in a wheelchair already, but then at the stroke, he had to then uh, change it to like a manual chair and okay. got his speech back. But he was involved in the water sports a lot, too, the oh, water okay. skiing. Okay. And then, you know, that's how I got to know your brother, Drew, with the sports, with baseball or softball, wheelchair softball. softball. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, then uh, then the world opens up. And, and I always say, like, I was so lucky, if you can even, you know, quote, unquote, lucky mm -hmm. to get hurt at the time. And the day that I did, because if it was 50 years ago, we didn't have all that available right. to us. Yeah. So we were really, you know, with driving, having a vehicle, adaptive vehicle and the ADA, you know, uh, laws and stuff is so much better. So there's no reason uh, to be, you know, a recluse in your home just because you have a, 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 a you know, a disability. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something I, I hear again and again on this program. People say they're lucky, you know, after they, you know at a, an injury like this, you know, where it's the outside world would never think that somebody they see like this would, would say that talking yeah. about being lucky. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and just the, the perseverance of, of, of folks who have gone through these life-changing disabilities and how they've reinvented themselves many times, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, change, going and getting a, an entirely different education so they can start a new field. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's some people bristle at this in the dis disabled community, but you know, I'm inspired by it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, and we, you know, it's funny that you uh, mentioned Carlos Molita. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're still in contact with him, or you know, been a while. Uh, uh, been a while because yeah. him and I, um, we um, uh, went through a lot of uh, similar things, especially after COVID. You know, I think a lot of people suffered in COVID. You know, yeah. the not being around the people and we couldn't do the races and all that stuff. But the thing that um, that hit us uh, a lot, especially Carlos, everybody knows what Carlos and all his, you know, stuff that he's done and, uh, you know, the story and stuff like that. But it comes down to, and it is now a topic that's been talked about a lot, is depression, mental health. Yeah. But it wasn't talked to about, you know, I don't think prior to, you know, the COVID as much, especially not in the disabled world. Yeah. Because everybody looks at us, the, the one that succeeded in whatever sports or whatever it is, to do the stuff that we've done or that we do, yeah. which had nothing to do with who we are. are. Yeah. And that is when when I um, when I got messages, I, I read the underlining messages that Carla was posting. And so then I send them, you know, uh, private messages like I'm concerned what's going on. And then I started to hear more about it. And then he was like off of social media for a long time. And I was always checking in on him. And then I said, I'm going through the same thing, you know? And everybody's like, well, how can you be feeling this way? Cause you're all the stuff that you do. And I said, well, that's what you guys need to understand. That is what we do. That's not who we are. We bleed just like everybody else. We cry like everybody else. We hurt like everybody else. Um, we're having a hard time. Mm -hmm. But then you also know that your community don't know how to deal with you because they don't, they've never put that with the person that you, you know, that they perceive or that they think who you are. So yeah. that was really hard. And, and we're talking about it much more now. Yeah. Uh, when I speak at, in, um, at the college, Sex State, 
same thing. It's like, you know, when I do a speaking, they always want all the pictures and the videos and stuff. And that's nice because it gives people just uh, like, oh, look what we can do. You know, yeah. life uh, after disability doesn't stop. But I always tell them that is not who I am. That is just what I do. And now we're going to talk about who I am and how we are. We just need to people, you know, to um, to welcome us in and, and to make, make us feel that we are that, that we matter. Ask the questions, approach us and, you know, and then this, let us decide whether we want to talk about that topic or yeah. not, because yeah. everybody has questions prior to us being heard. Well, for you, it's different, of course, because you were pretty much born, you know, or but, when you were very still, young. But still, you get that. You get people yeah. that want to ask questions. And I'm I'm always kind of surprised because and I, I've heard people that are disabled and they, they bristle at the fact that people want to ask them questions. You know, you wouldn't go up to somebody that lost their hair and ask them about their cancer, would you? And and, yeah. and, and I, I, I don't know. I'm just more open-minded about it. You know, as long as you ask me respectfully, if, yes. you know, if somebody and, and, and says, can I, I ask you a question? And I know yeah. what's coming after that. When you hear that, you know, there's a certain yeah. way they ask that question. He's like, okay, I know what's coming. But also yeah. from, from our perspective, from us, the ones in with the disability, like, cause I've done a couple of speaking, you know, and like, why I don't get any feedback. So then mm-hmm. I go home and I start thinking about it. Cause I always ask anybody questions. <laughs> any questions? Well, that yeah. question, that question is just an empty, you know, you don't get any response. So I yeah. changed it around mm-hmm. and I, and I tell the, you know, after I've done my little speech and about, you know, the stuff, the sports and stuff and where I work and, and a little bit of my life story. And I said, what is holding you back from asking me a question? Because, because I know everybody in this room has a question. question what is holding yeah. you back? And then they start, well, we don't want to be disrespectful. We don't want to hurt your feelings. And I said, but, a question not being asked is always no, right? So if you don't ask the question, it's always the answer is always no. But you don't know until you ask. And then all of a sudden more hands were coming up, right? Yeah. So I started to change my questioning. And I said, because, and I tell them, I said, if I was one of your classmates and I would come into class tomorrow with my leg in a, in a, in a cast and a black eye and cuts and bruises on my face, the first thing you're going to ask me, oh my gosh, what happened? Yes, they say the answer was, yeah, because, well, I wasn't born with a wheelchair attached to me. So obviously something happened to me. Why could you? And so you break that ice, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, we like welcome I'm gonna, the questions. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. We welcome the questions because now I feel I matter enough to you that, that you, you want care. to know me. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, and then we address a lot of things that way. And it's, um, it's becoming especially if those students want to be in the field that I'm working in. Like if you mm-hmm. don't want to ask questions, you're not in the right field, you, you know, you yeah. have to ask the questions, yeah. you know, and you're not, um, you're not overstepping the hip hop boundaries because sometimes that gets a little too, um, you know, uh, they hammer on that. Well, you can't ask questions because of HIPAA. I'm like, well, but I still decide whether I want to answer the question right. or not. Yeah. I mean, HIPAA is more asking somebody about somebody else. You can ask yeah. somebody about themselves. Yeah, exactly. And but, then you open up the doors and then the whole communication starts right then it there. It really starts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, the depression thing is, is I, cause I felt a little bit of that too. And, and it creeps up on you, you know, you yeah. start to, you, you don't really notice. And this is, to me, it was funny because, you know, I live alone and, and I've talked to myself quite a bit, you know? Yeah. And I realized at some point I would, I'd be talking to myself and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I haven't really been talking to myself the last couple of days. And then I recognized I was kind of in a funk. Yeah. And that's why, yeah. you know, cause that, 
that talking to myself is kind of lighthearted, you know, just yeah. saying silly things to myself. Well, I didn't feel like doing that the last couple of days. So then I started to recognize, you know, this is going through COVID that yeah. I was a bit isolated and, you know, I, I have to address it. So I, I did, I actually went to, to some counseling for a little while and very yeah. helpful, very yeah, helpful. The loneliness, the loneliness yeah. was uh, sneaking in, in a very dangerous, you know, cause nobody wanted to visit, right? Yeah. Because they, yeah. they feel like you have a mark of on your door. And you know, the funny thing was I was, um, cause everybody was doing all the TikTok movies. Remember they're doing uh, all these dances. And, yeah. and then I started to think like, yeah, that's nice. But what about people that live alone? What about people that love their, lost their significant other? What about people with disabilities and living alone? You know, stuff, the people that yeah. are, they, they don't have that other person. They say, I'm scared. What's going to happen? My family lives in Europe. That's when I realized it was global because my family overseas was going through it as well. It as was not well. just America, right? You, you feel like, yeah. oh, it's just an American thing. And then I realized I'm not doing very well. I really i am not doing very well, but nobody knows that because everybody puts you up on this platform or this pedestal, like, oh, she's the strong person. Look what she, yeah. and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I contacted, really weird, but I contacted the, I loved listening to country music. So um, the country station, you know, with Pat, Tom mm -hmm. and Cody. So I listened to them and I sent them a message. I goes, hey, you guys, I just want to let you know that uh, we hear the topics about the COVID that it's affecting a lot of people and people are isolated in their home and they're going stir crazy and the kids and, you know, um, uh, uh, partners are getting into fights. I says, but how come we're not addressing or not hearing anybody talk about people that are by themselves, that are single, that have a disability? So I kind of explained a little bit my situation. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, a disabled, I have a spinal cord injury in a wheelchair and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and it's really hitting me hard. Well, Cody was a new cast member on the on the radio station, and I didn't know not much about her. And so I said, I think we need to address it a little bit more, you know, that there are people out there that nobody is knocking on their doors because they don't have anybody there. And that worries me. It worries me about the mental state. So I couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> and um, so I got a message back from Pat and Tom, and they said, well, thank you for sharing that with me. And um, so 6 o'clock comes around, and I'm listening to the radio, and I hear a story about uh, somebody that has issues, you know, with the um, with the, the mental state and the COVID. I'm like, that sounds a lot like me. And then he goes, yeah, this lady, you know, you're like, I'll keep her anonymous, but she is paralyzed. She's in a wheelchair. I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like my story. Well, then I and so he and so he texted me back. He said, well, I hope it's okay with you, but I aired your story, but I kept your name anonymous. Yeah. That moment, I was just crying because I felt somebody heard me yeah. and everybody else. And then Cody, the lady on the stuff, she goes, well, I never said anything because Cody was single at the time. She goes, I'm glad that this lady, me, mentioned it because I'm going through the same thing, but nobody knows that. And yeah. so, you know, you're suffering in silence. And then the whole and, thing. And sometimes you, you don't even know it yourself. Exactly. Because yeah. like I said, it sneaks up, Yeah, you know, really yeah. uh, dangerously. And, uh, and, Again, you know, that has nothing to do with, oh, you know, we cannot live on, you know, independently and by ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've done it. But you know what? I don't want to get too good at it either because, you know, um, the older I get, I'm like, you, you, you watch a movie and wouldn't that be nice to have somebody <laughs> next to you you can watch yeah. a movie with? Yeah. You know, people get invited to uh, events or parties. Do you want to be that third wheel all the time or the fifth wheel all the time? No. So you don't go. 
even though you get invited because it's just, you know, another, oh yeah, coming by myself. Yeah. And the same when I go out to dinner, I go by myself. It's not fun, but it's like, oh, how but many? Yeah, yeah. It's a table for one, you know, and they put you right where all the people are sitting <laughs> around you. But it's yeah. like, I still like to go out to dinner. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop that, but it's not fun if you don't have somebody with you. So I understand the, lo the loneliness is the older I get is getting harder and harder. And that's why I still rely on the sports that I do. Like, you know, with the softball team, I have the guys, you know, that are my teammates and, uh, yeah, that, that, that helps with your sanity, you know, and, and the yeah. job that I do with excess leisure. I I love being around, you know, um, uh, I, I'm a people person. Yeah. So when COVID hit, that was not good for the people that are very, you know, outgoing and want people around. Um, so, yeah, that was hard. Yeah, that's the I, I've come to the realization that a lot of the volunteer work I do is for that social aspect. I mean, I, I love the fact that you know, it makes a difference in other people's lives that that need that. But, you know, it, I get as much as I get, you know, yeah. or I get it, as much as I get. It is important because yeah. we're just we're not made to be by ourselves. We can no. we can manage it. We can navigate through it. But yeah. we're we're just not beings to be alone. We need yeah, that other absolutely. person to hold you up and you're falling down. And, you know, it's that yin and yang, right? Some support. You just, um, some, yeah, yeah, some support, support is so important. So uh, we could go on for hours, I, I, I feel like, but, uh, you know, it just maybe we can wind down with this question and just uh, what do you hold for the future? What what are your, kind of your aspirations for the future? Where do you see things going? Um, I hope, and that's what I'm actually working on now um, mm -hmm. with Jenny, even though she's now retired as well, is that what can we offer, of course, the city of Sacramento, um, what do we need from people that are in, you know, that have a disability, what, what they want to see in our community. And then I want to help because I have that platform. I have the people that I know. It's just, I need more feedback from people and Hey, I'd love to join your podcast anytime you need me to, because I need just more people to give media, you know, plant this idea in my head, like, and then see what we can make it work. I want the programs to succeed. I want to have that good community for people with all kinds of disability um, and that we that they have somewhere to go to, you know, whether it's recreational or just social, you know, to socialize. Um, that's what we need, you know. Um, and then you can be uh, the the veterans in the chair can be then, you know, a good support system for the new for the newbies, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, again, keep it real. Allow them to feel whatever they feel because they need that. We've done that. We might not uh, remember that we had those bad days, but you know what? If you deny them that. That's when I think problems were going to arise. Then they turn to drugs, alcohol, whatever, because yeah. they, they they have to they're going to suppress the bad days because it's part of I that process. Feel, yeah, and yeah. and that, that's dangerous. If you had a really shitty day, excuse my friend, but if you Very had a good. really bad day today, just remember go through the motions because hopefully tomorrow will be a good day or a great day. Yeah, but yeah. go through it and then be there for that person. You don't have to say anything because there's nothing that can change it. We cannot. Words cannot make you walk again or, you know, be that able person again, but just offer that shoulder and let them cry, cry with them. And then, you know, you take a little bit of that weight away from that person. Yeah. And just checking in on somebody. You don't have to say, are you okay? You're having a mental breakdown. You know, yeah. all you, you just say, Hey, I, you know, I just want to call and say hi. Yeah. But that makes well, somebody's day. I know it does mine. Somebody takes the time to shoot me a text or give me a yeah. call. Yeah. Makes well, all the difference in the world. 
and we all know, and it's kind of funny you uh, you uh, say, uh, said that statement because that really, I took that really literally and dissected that question. When somebody, when I first got hurt, when people asked me, how are you doing? And I said, do you really want to know? Because today's a really bad day, so be ready. Yeah. But people yeah. say that because they don't know what to say. Right. And, they and people have to be say careful. fine when they get that question because they don't want to get into the, yes. the deep yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or we are afraid that they really don't want to know. And that's usually the, the reason. Because yeah. if you have nothing really to say, you go, how are you doing? Well, in our situation, it is a, a question that means a lot because today yeah. we're not doing very well today. Oh, today's a little bit better. But when you ask somebody that question, and I tell able-bodied people all the time, when you're going to ask me a question, how I'm doing, you better be ready for, it could be an hour talk <laughs> because today is just, you got me in a, a bad day or Let's just, you know, pick this up on a better time for you, because it's not just a random question. You can we take it very personal because yeah. we live day by day. We don't know what our day will be tomorrow. Yeah. You know, we don't know how we wake up. We don't know. If we get nerve pain all night long. Uh, we don't know if we had, you know, um, uh, bowel issues or bladder issues. So when you ask somebody, how are you doing? You better want to know. And because that is a very important question. Yeah, yeah, very important, know? very real answer. Yeah, it's Absolutely. real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, anything uh, that you want to ask before we it's, let her uh, escape? I think that's the entire enchilada. I really enjoyed listening to her story because there was a lot of stuff that really stood out. Well, I'm glad, you know, and that again, that is my goal. That's what I want to, you know, every time um, my anniversary date or my alive date comes up, I always reflect back. Okay. What was my year prior and what can I do better? What can I, even if I just touch one person and make one person to come out of their house or, or go, you know, do whatever, you know, was important to them, then I succeeded. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you uh, everything I know about access leisure. They're, they're a premier organization in the disability community, yeah. you know, so, that is great to hear that you are not resting on your laurels and you're looking to, to make some changes and improve on it because yeah. you're, you're improving on, you know, like a gold standard already. That's great to yeah. hear. So absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Teo Rosa. And um, you, I'm going to take you at your word because, you know, there's, there's topics that I want to address and maybe there's some specific top topics that, you know, your, your, your experience, you know, living with a disability and your, background as a nurse all that kind of ties together and you can help us kind of speak to it intelligently that would be great sure yeah right. absolutely bye eric nice Take to meet care. you when you're high you feel different you think different you talk different you draw different you listen to music different but you probably knew that problem is you also drive different and not in a good way that's why driving high is illegal everywhere so if you're high just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. And here we are at segment three of today's episode of Walk and Roll Live. I'm Doug. He's Eric. And what do you got coming up this week? Anything else? You know, my friend, I, um, me, me, me and my fiance who has autism, we're going to go to this Italian restaurant called Johnny Russo's in Benny. It's the annual Christmas party for the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary. I ain't never been to Johnny Russo's, 
they say it's pretty good. And I looked at the menu and I said, hmm, this is some good stuff here. I'm looking forward to that. And that'll be Thursday night. <laughs> is it Johnny Russo's or Johnny Caruso's? Uh, Johnny Caruso's is my own pronunciation. That, no, no, no. You're okay. You're all right. Because I think there's one in Rancho I've been to, and, I, and it's good. We've been a few times. Yeah, it's a little different than what you get at uh, at other Italian. You know, there's other things. There's the traditional spaghetti, lasagna, but there were some other things, too, that you can choose from. So enjoy that, and we'll get your uh, review next week. All right? Uh, this all week. Right, I hope I won't make you hungry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, there's another busy week. Uh, this week, I've got the Veterans Village that I uh, volunteer at the pantry once a week. We're having our Christmas party for the veterans that is coming up, uh, this Wednesday, uh, rolling start is, uh, on Friday. We're going to have their holiday party at the San Bernardino location on Friday and, and thesis, their Christmas party is on Friday evening. That's a kind of a, I, I, they're having dinner too. I'm not sure what they're having, but that's, that's for all the participants, you know, and they love to dance. So that'll be a good time. And I'm also oh, going to try to make it out to the drags on Friday. They, there's a there's a <laughs> tour that goes around to like three different locations, and you have to drive the car that you race, and you have to carry everything that you need to race in the car. And then they stop at three different locations. They're all, you know, basically kind of street of cars that, that can drag. So uh, I've, I've seen it on, I don't know if you've ever watched Roadkill on Motor Trend. That you've, oh yeah, they they highlighted on that. So I just want to go out and check it out. It's going to be out at Irwindale on Friday. So I'm going to go check that out. All right, that's all I got. Um, we talked a little bit about Access Leisure. I don't think it's up on our website yet, but I will take care of that. So if you want to get more information about the the organization that has all the disability programs in Sacramento, California, we'll have that up before uh, probably be up there before you hear this. If I do my job, all right. All right. Any closing thoughts, my friend? Well, I do have a lot of closing thoughts. Like there was a lot about her story that really stood out. Like uh, never assume anything. It's not a one size uh, uh, fits all deal. And sometimes you got to fight for what you want. That is it. That's that's that advocacy we talk about. You know, you you, you got a voice. To use break it. the barriers is to educate people. Yeah, that'll that'll go a long way, right? Instead of just yelling and screaming, just. Love on them and uh, and bring them to to understand what's going on. All right, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Walk and Roll Live. See you later, guys. We will see you next time. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.